Section 15 of On the Witness Stand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Larry Wilson. On the Witness Stand, Essays on Psychology and Crime by Hugo Munsterberg. Suggestions in Court, Part 2. What does the psychologist really understand by a suggestion? Let us be sure from the first that it certainly means nothing abnormal or pathological. The illustrations have indicated sufficiently that abnormal disturbance in ordinary normal life can meet here. My lady with the over-generous last will had certainly left the realm of normality. The voter who is imposed on by the big parade or the customer who is carried away by the bargain prices of the great removal sale, is also under the influence of suggestion, and may yet be otherwise quite a normal person. Suggestion is, moreover, no symptom of weakness, and it would be absurd to believe that life might be wholesomer and better if it could move on without the aid of influences of suggestion. On the contrary, life would be dreary and commonplace without enthusiasm and without convictions, if all suggestions evaporated. Education and art, politics and religion, rely on the power of suggestion, for a suggestion is, after all, any idea which takes hold of our consciousness in such a way that it inhibits and excludes the opposite ideas. But in what sense is there any meaning in speaking of opposite ideas? Our consciousness has room for any combination of thoughts, and each idea seems to go peacefully together with any other idea. We can think black and white, and summer and winter, and man and woman quietly together. When the psychologist speaks of opposite ideas, he means something very different. He calls opposite such ideas as involve mutually exclusive attitudes. I can think of a man and a woman, but I cannot take the attitude towards a person of taking him for a man and at the same time the attitude of taking him for a woman. I can think of summer and winter, but I must believe that the season is either winter or summer, not both, and must act accordingly. The whole antagonism thus lies in our own activities, and if we say that one idea excludes the opposite, we really mean that the idea which demands one attitude excludes another idea which demands an opposite attitude. In ordinary life, in states free from suggestion, no idea has any prerogative. Each has fair play. When a new idea comes to our mind, perhaps from hearing it from a friend, perhaps from reading it, perhaps from our own imagination, it may fall into a conflict of attitudes with some other idea present and above all with some associations and memories which awake. Then begins a fair fight in which either the newcomer or the old idea may win. Both together cannot last, as we cannot live through opposite actions at the same time. We cannot turn to the right and to the left. We cannot close the hand and open it. We cannot speak and be silent. Wrong ideas and inappropriate propositions enter our consciousness through many doors all the time but they are at once eliminated through the influence of the opposite ideas which a faithful memory and a sound reasoning provide. That which is connected most firmly with the remainder of our experience will survive. 
each of the rivaling ideas is thus backed by its own connections and stands on its own merits whenever this is changed and an idea it may be the new intruder or the old incumbent gets an unfair chance so that all its opposing ideas are weakened and perhaps even suppressed from the start then we call it a suggestion all our prejudices and all our convictions work as such suggestions they do not give to the idea of opposite attitude the opportunity for a test that may work for the good or for the bad the moral idea and the vicious desire may be equally strengthened through such suggestive energy which eliminates the opposite from the start we call the readiness to receive such suggestions from other persons suggestibility the degree of suggestibility changes from man to man and changes in every individual from mood to mood from hour to hour hypnotism finally is an artificially increased state of suggestibility yet there are nowhere sharp demarcation lines even the most stubborn mind is open to certain suggestion and the most deeply hypnotized mind has still the power to resist certain ideas which would be opposed by the deepest maxims of his life emotion certainly increases suggestibility with everybody so does fatigue and nervous exhaustion there is nothing mysterious in all this and the psychologist is not unable to understand it all as product of the brain mechanism he knows today that each idea is composed of sensations which accompany nervous excitement in many sensorial brain cells and these are stimulated by the sense organs but he knows further that this excitement does not stop in those memory cells the process which starts from the sense organs does not find in those sensory brain centers an end station but runs on into motor paths which lead finally to the muscular system those central brain stations thus serve for the transmission of the incoming sensory stimuli into outgoing motor impulses all this is endlessly complex millions of paths lead to the brain and millions of paths lead out again and the cortex of the brain is the great automatic switchboard for all those tracks yet all this alone would be no explanation it would make us only understand that any sensory idea a word which we hear a thing which we see would necessarily lead over into an action but plenty of facts speak now in favor of the following view firstly those motor paths in the brain are so related to each other that whatever excitement goes on in the one the track which would lead to the opposite action becomes blocked when the impulse runs into those nerves which for instance open the hand the brain closes those channels of motor discharge which would lead us to clinch the fist secondly the ideas which accompany the sensory brain processes become vivid only when the channels of discharge are open they remain unvivid that is they become inhibited and suppressed when those channels of discharge are closed a suggestion would thus be an idea whose sensory brain accompaniment keeps the channels of motor discharge wide open so that the paths which would lead to the opposite action are on the whole closed and because the channels of discharge are closed all the ideas which might lead to such opposite action are eliminated from the first if the words this is a garden spoken to me in my library came as a suggestion they would not exclude any activity of mine i might carry on a conversation on politics might read a book 
and might remember correctly all that happened to me before, but everything must remain in harmony with my attitude towards this room as a garden. The wish to take a book from the shelf on the wall would be indeed inhibited, and the books themselves would become correspondingly invisible, while I should believe I saw the flowers in the garden, which I should feel ready to pick. Of course, to take my library shelves for flower bushes, because someone tells me this is a garden, demands an extreme degree of suggestibility, and where it is reached, we should certainly speak of a hypnotic state. To take in an anxious mood at twilight, the trunk of a willow tree, for a burglar, requires much less suggestibility, and to believe the latest news of the yellow journal only because it is shouted in big headlines, in spite of the fact that a hundred earlier experiences ought to suppress belief, a still smaller degree of suggestibility is sufficient. If, therefore, no mystery and no disease is involved, if suggestion rests on an opening and closing of motor channels which goes on automatically, and to a high degree independent of conscious will, if everyone is open to suggestions, and yet suggestions are able to turn white into black and black into white, it seems indeed astonishing that the work of justice is carried out in the courts without ever consulting the psychologist and asking him for all the aid which the modern study of suggestion can offer. There is no one participant in the drama of the court who might not change the plot by the operation of suggestions in his mind. The defendant may have worked under suggestion at the time of his criminal deed. The witnesses may be influenced during the observation of the deed, or may labor under suggestion on the witness stand, and even if their observation and recollection is correct, their narration may still be tainted by the strange spell. But is the lawyer or the judge, above all, is the juryman less open to a disturbance of the normal ideational rivalry? To be sure, Popular imagination runs often enough into the suspicion that a crime was performed under hypnotic influence. But just this is, on the whole, more a motive for dime novels than for legal consideration. All the probabilities are against it. For the purpose of justice, it is far more important to keep in mind that hypnotism is only the strongest degree of suggestibility, and that the weaker states of openness for suggestion are the real hotbeds of criminal impulses. We know today, for instance, that alcohol poisoning can produce with many persons a state of suggestibility in which complete imitations of post-hypnotic suggestion become possible. The order to do a certain foolish act at an appointed hour in the sober state will be carried out when the order has been given in an impressive way while the wine was still paralyzing the inhibitory centers. In the same way, emotion changes the man. During a panic, the suggestibility is reinforced to a degree where all resistances seem to be broken down, and to be a member of a crowd is always sufficient to weaken the counteraction. But there are many persons whose unusual suggestibility makes them constantly liable to chance influences, even in normal social life. They are enthusiastic for the last arguments they hear, and the next speaker who says the opposite convinces them just as fully. The psychological experiment can measure the degree of this constitutional weakness with exactitude, and to leave this nervous disposition altogether out of account in judging the criminal act is in principle not different from punishing the insane like a normal person. 
Still more important than the influence of suggestion on the crime is that on the report of the witness. The distortion may begin with the mere perception of the circumstances. Whenever the court becomes doubtful as to whether the witness really observed the facts correctly, we hear some speculative generality as to the probability of a reliable judgment. Here again, the first thing ought to be to find the personal equation and to determine by the means of science to what degree the perceptive consciousness of the observer remains independent of intruding suggestions. The suggestible witness may have heard distinct words where the objective witness heard only a noise. Much may depend on that for the trial. Words distinguished by the suggestible mind would count for much. Those distinguished by the suggestible one for almost nothing. But to say which is which, it ought not to be sufficient to rely on hearsay and anecdotes, with all the means of the laboratory experts at disposal to determine the exact degree of suggestibility, just as experts would decide whether a bullet can have taken the one way or the other through the body. Where the perception was fairly correct, the recollection may be entirely distorted by suggestive side influences. We have spoken of the experiments which proved the powerful influence of suggestive questions. No doubt the whole situation of the courtroom reinforces the suggestibility of every witness. In much-discussed cases, current rumors, and especially the newspapers, have their full share in distorting the real recollections. Everything becomes unintentionally shaped and molded. The imaginative idea which fits a prejudice, a theory, a suspicion, meets at first the opposition of memory, but slowly it wins in power, and as soon as the suggestibility is increased, the play of ideas under equal conditions ends and the opposing idea is annihilated. Easy tests could quickly unveil this changed frame of mind, and if such a half-hypnotic state of suggestibility has set in, it is no wiser to keep the witness on the stand than if he had emptied a bottle of whiskey in the meantime. And even if the memory itself is correct, the narration may be dictated by suggestive influences, and the reported story itself may work backwards, with autosuggestive influence on the memory. There are not a few who finally believe their hunting stories after they have told them repeatedly. It is necessary to say that the most suggestible man in the court, and the one whose suggestibility is most dangerous, may be neither the criminal nor the witness, but the juryman. His task demands freedom from suggestion more than almost any other quality. He has to weigh the value of conflicting evidence. Here again, psychological experiment can show how easy it is to interfere with the unhampered play of rival ideas when the mind is suggestible. The lawyer who knows his average juryman instinctively makes the richest use of all the psychological factors which bring the arguments of the one side fully into the focus of interest and suppress and inhibit the effectiveness of the opposite idea. But here again there may be a degree of suggestibility which simply interferes with the purpose of justice and only psychological experiment can bring such deficiency to light. The judgment of a jury becomes a caricature, if not the evidence, but insignificant and accidental circumstances determine the attitude of the suggestible juror. Of course public opinion, with its crowd of instincts, is for the most part just such a suggestible arbiter. 
I heard at the center of politics that after the Spanish War, when the nation was delighted with the Navy and all kinds of scandals seemed to bring evidence against the Army, Congress would never have voted so much to the Army had not West Point in that year won the football match over Annapolis, and thus swung round to the suggestible public opinion from Navy to Army. But to be sure, when the court of public opinion begins to weigh the evidence, it is no longer law, but politics, and it might not be wise to ask how far there is suggestion in politics, too, inasmuch as we might be checked too soon by the counter-question, is there anything in politics which is not suggestion? End of section 15